Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for present. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. We are not going to dwell on the Brewers' loss. Great season. Great September. Um, I think, actually, given the way the team played most of the year, they, they overachieved in September. And the truth of the matter is, to get where they got after losing arguably the best player in Major League Baseball is quite an accomplishment. Yesterday was disappointing because the game was there to be won, and you can go back and understandably second-guess some decisions that were made at the end of that game in the eighth inning. But the bottom line is it doesn't change the fact that it was a very, very good season. Um, my, my immediate reaction, again, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at uh, Jeff Wagner 620 um, I, I just... I had all the playoff tickets. You know, if you're a season ticket holder and you, you know, buy the tickets in advance, they send them to you. They're all printed up. I had two sheets with World Series tickets, and I didn't really think they were going to go to the World Series, but you never know. Hope springs eternal and all the different tickets and kind of laid them out on my desk yesterday and just said, "Mm, this is what could have been. So uh, that's, that is posted on Twitter. In addition, my producer today and always grew your namesake. Your namesake grew, actually, one of the characters that you were named after in a lot of trouble. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 you will see a picture of the character Gru who finds himself, well, I don't know, at the center of a bunch of controversy. We're going to be talking about that later on in this hour. So let's get started. And if I seem a little bit cranky on today's program, and again, it's, it's like I say, my, it wasn't just the Brewer's loss, but my day started off with a trip to the doctor where I have been poked and prodded, a shingle shot, a flu shot, fingers stabbed for blood. And uh, then, of course, your, your basic uh, blood draw for the tests and stuff. So I'm, I got band-aids, I got bandages, I've got all this sort of stuff, but it is very, very good to be here. All right, we get started. I I don't want to say I told you so, but I think I told you so. When this first happened a couple months ago, I knew it was going to lead towards a lawsuit. The family of this black teenager who was stopped by Wauwatosa police, they have now filed a lawsuit against, well, the Wauwatosa police, the chief, the officers who were involved, and others. Here is the story. Um, September of 2018. Um, here's what happens. The family is on its way back home from church. And what happens is, according to the lawsuit, um, the, the family, including these two women, had just stopped by and had picked up their grandson. Their names are Sandra Adams and Paulette Barr. Miss Barr is, I think, the grandmother of this Akil Carter, who's a young black man, teenager, I think 17. The ladies are in the front seat of the car. And the, the young man is in the back seat of the car. Okay? So, you know, this is the, the circumstance. What happens is, Wauwatosa police 
say an officer was flagged down by an African-American couple. Couple flags down the cops and says a robbery either was occurring or had just occurred. And the suspect was in the back seat of this blue Lexus. And they point the officer to this blue Lexus. Now, the two ladies in the car are white. The young man in the car is African-American. Okay, so. You have somebody, and this is apparently it's an African-American couple. They say to the cops, there's just been an armed robbery, and it's 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 that car, okay? So what happens is the police, based on this information, pull over the Lexus near West Burley and North Mayfair Road. Other officers come to the scene. They're, they're investigating whether there is an armed robbery, All right? Because... Their information was that this was an armed robbery. Officers coming up to the car, they, they've, they've got their guns in their hands, right? Because they're afraid that there's an armed robber in this car. According to the police, they, they have the guns pointed down, but they've got their guns drawn. All right, so, I mean, this is a situation where, again, they're, you know, trying to be protective. What they did here is after they stopped the car, because, again, they're afraid that this is a robbery situation, the officers do what they call a non-approach traffic stop. They stop the car, but then rather than going up to the car themselves, what they do is they instruct the man, get out of the car and come back to us. Okay, so come back to us. All right, so then what happens next is the young man, you know, gets out of the car. He's told to walk backwards towards the officer. Put your hands up and drop to your knees. Right? He's then handcuffed and taken into a squad car for questioning. All right. At that point in time, you know, the police begin to investigate this. And there's a body camera that then shows the officer saying, huh, I guess this sounds like a big misunderstanding. The kid says it's his grandmother who's a passenger in the car. Her friend is driving and he gives him the information. Okay, so the police then go up. They speak to, you know, the people in the car, the grandmother and her friend that are driving, and they quickly determine that this is not an armed robbery, that the information that they had been provided was inaccurate. Don't know what the couple saw to make them think that there was an armed robbery. All they know is, hey, this is what we were told. This is what we did. The whole incident takes six, seven, eight minutes. What they ultimately do is they release the young man. They take off the handcuffs. They send him, you know, on his way. The grandmother, who is white, she, according to the complaint, says, I'm, you know, she says, she's frustrated. She says, I'm sure the person who saw this saw two old white ladies in a car with a black kid and made some assumptions. And then, you know, the officer says, well, it was actually, it was was a black couple that, that reported this. The grandmother says, so then it's even worse. All right. But they send the kid off on his way. The Everybody leaves. There's no lengthy detention or anything like that, but there is the stop. Well, okay, now what's happened is this case has now been removed to federal court um, based on the lawsuit, the family of the teen suing all these various people. The family is requesting compensation for their past and future medical care. 
past and future lost wages, past and future pain and suffering and disability, and for violation of their civil rights in an amount to be determined at trial. The family is also seeking to reform the city's policies, practice, and procedures to prevent actions and harms in the future. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did the police do anything wrong? I mean, if the facts are as they appear to be, you have somebody that flags down a bunch of cops and says there's an armed robbery that's going on. There's a robbery, carjacking, whatever. It's in that car. And then the police rush off to do the investigation. They pull the car over. They did what they did. And then in the space of five to ten minutes, they determine that, though, there's no crime that has been committed and they send everybody on their way. Are civil rights violated? Are there injuries? Are the policies and practices of the Wauwatosa Police Department in need of a change? Or did the cops do exactly what you would expect the cops to do under the circumstances? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. Katie in Burlington. Hi, Katie. Hi there. Um, I do not believe that police did anything wrong. But listening to you, Jeff, um, and your rendition of this, this event, two things struck me. The first was this lawsuit. I mean, they asked for the whole kit and caboodle for about under 10 minutes of time. I mean, they're asking for every single thing on earth. Right. Past and future lost wages, future pain and suffering, yeah, disability. Exactly. I mean, yeah, medical care. I mean, yeah. right. They, they, OK, the car was pulled over. The kid was told to get out of the car. He was handcuffed. But right. It, it's not like you spent hours and hours, you know, in a federal prison. No. And the other thing that struck me was the people who flagged down the police. And they were very clear. This is what we saw. And these were the people who did it. Has anyone looked at to see if there's any relationship between the people who made the accusations and the people in the car? I, I, I mean, don't they, think they know who they were. I don't think okay. my recollection is they didn't stick around. So that's which that's I think makes it more difficult. If this was sort of like, a, I mean, I, it really there was no question. And then they disappear. Do they somehow know these people and say, hey, we're going to play, like, have them flag you down and set them up and then we'll go for this uh, oh. thing? Oh, as opposed to a prank or something like that, I or, or just being mistaken. Yeah, I think that's part of the problem here, Katie. I don't think the police know who it was. I mean, you know, and you can understand they. Well, you got somebody who's flagging people down, saying, "Hey, there, there's something going on in that car. You better check it out." The police oh, officers run out to go check it out. Yeah. If I had made that accusation or seen something, I would have stuck around, provided right. information, and done as much as I can to make sure they just made this accusation and disappeared. It doesn't make sense to me. No, it doesn't. No, thanks for calling it. But again, that. But I, I guess I want to look at it. I look at it from the perspective of the officers. You know, what are you supposed to do under these particular circumstances? And let's assume. They had done nothing. Now, look, we, we understand what this is. This is this the, the grandmother, her friend. They're in the car. This is the 17-year-old kid in the back seat. Okay, we, we understand that there's there's no crime being committed here, et cetera, et cetera. But let's assume that this was 
something different. Let's assume that this is a situation that those two women were, in fact, being held hostage by somebody, you know, at gunpoint. Now, that wasn't the case. But assume what would have happened. What You know, what are the police supposed to do? Let the car drive off, get the license plate, try to do some sort of lengthy investigation? No, these are one of these things. When you're faced with that situation, or at least in my opinion, you have to act quickly. You have to act professionally. There's no suggestion that they, they beat the young man. They told him to get out of his car of the car with his hands up he got out of the car with his hands up he walked towards him he complied he did what he was supposed to do and in the space of six to ten minutes they figured out that this was not what they had been told it was that there was nothing to see here and they sent everybody on their way i mean everybody quite candidly under these circumstances i think behaved in the way that they're supposed to behave and i don't know what policies and practices you could expect the wawatosa police to do to change seems to me they handled this exactly like they should have handled it julie in kenosha julie you're on wtmj good afternoon good afternoon jack thanks for taking my call um, I disagree with everything that has been said so far. Um, I'm getting very frustrated with this litigious society. We have to let the police do their job. They were trying to stop an armed robbery. Or at least robbery. investigate what they what might have been an armed robbery. Absolutely. Right. And we have to understand that if we're going to let the police do their job, we might be inconvenienced for seven minutes. Right. That might happen. Right. That doesn't mean we get lost wages, lost disability. I mean, that's ridiculous. Well, right. Look, and was was this probably was it this traumatic? Yeah. I mean, I I understand if. If I was riding in the back seat of a car and all of a sudden the car is pulled over and somebody says, get out with your hands up and they take me back to a police officer's car and they handcuff me and I'm held for a few minutes while they investigate, would that be traumatic? Would I be a little bit unhappy? Yeah, I, I, but I, but once I understood what had gone on and what the overall circumstances were, I'd say, okay, I see why you did what you did. This was just wrong. And then, then you kind of move on. Exactly, Jeff. We have to have more respect for our police. Right. They're trying to do a job. They're trying to protect us, and we have to be a little bit patient and a little bit understanding, and we have to let them do their job. Yeah, and in this case, thanks a lot for the call, Julie. And in this case, everybody, at least in my opinion, unless you want to go down the rabbit hole and say that there was never there was never a tip in the first place. If, if you want to say these police officers just, there was never an anonymous person that, that pointed this out. They just decided, okay, this is all a subterfuge. We're going to run in and we're going to see what's going on here. Unless you want to go down that rabbit hole, and I, for one, I don't. I don't think there's any evidence to suggest that. You know, once you are told that there might be a crime that has been committed and there is an exigency, there's an emergency to this, you know, I I think they did everything correctly. Yes, they had their guns drawn when they approached the car. Of course they had their guns drawn when they approached the car. This might be a kidnapping. It might be a shooting situation. Yes, you know, they got the young man out of the car and they directed him to his knees. And yes, they handcuffed him. And yes, they kept him handcuffed for a couple minutes till they determined that there's nothing to see here. And once they did, they sent him on his way. 
and this is the subject of a lawsuit. I mean, again, the matter's been moved into federal court. Ultimately, it's been made a federal case of it. I don't know where it's ultimately going to go. And I appreciate that there are times, and we have seen it in this area, where police have overreacted, the police have been wrong, and the police have had to be held accountable. In this particular case, based at least on what's in the record thus far, I don't see that the cops did anything wrong here at all, period. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I don't know about you, but $2.5 billion strikes me as being an awful lot of money. And that's the number that gets lost in the conversations and the screaming headlines that demonstrate why once you have an entitlement program in place, it is absolutely impossible to even try to scale it back a little. Headline in the Journal Sentinel today, screaming story, nearly 40,000 Wisconsinites would lose benefits under proposed Trump administration food stamp rule. And by the way, that headline is not unique. There are headlines similar to that in newspapers all across the country. I was checking this out today. Nearly blank Minnesotans would lose benefits under proposed Trump administration food stamp rule, etc., etc., etc. It is the media narrative. The evil Trump administration is out there trying to starve people out without any real discussion or understanding of what is going on. All right, so here's the deal. The food stamp program, okay, you know, and they they call it, what do they call it, food share, you know, here in Wisconsin. Food stamp program is paid for by the feds. It's administered by the states. Right now, there are about 40 million people across the country who are receive some form of assistance as far as food stamps. Food stamps are, of course, supposed to be that, that sort of temporary safety net that helps you, you know, while you're trying to get back on your feet. There are federal guidelines for participating in the food stamp program. The most strict guideline is the fact that there are income limits. Food stamps are for the neediest people among us. There's all sorts of other government assistance programs out there, but for food stamps, the deal is you you are eligible to participate um, if you make 130% of the federal poverty level or less. Now, you can argue about whether it should be raised or not. I don't want to have that discussion right now, but the rule is 130% of the poverty line or less. For a family of four, that means the income cutoff is roughly $33,000 a year. If you make $33,000 or less, you are eligible for food stamps. There is another requirement as well that limits the amount of assets you can have. I think that that number is like 2250 bucks. So you, if you have more than $2,250 in the bank, for example, convertible asset, you're, you're not eligible for food stamps. The idea is you have to spend that money to get it down to twenty two fifty. So that's the income requirement. All right. And like I say, right now, there's 40 million people who are on food stamps. Food stamps cost billions and billions of dollars. And I'm not arguing that it's not a worthwhile program, etc. The problem with the food stamp program is that there is a loophole that is big enough that you can drive a giant tractor trailer truck through. 
and it's a loophole that the Obama administration encouraged states to exploit. Like I say, there's this income limit, right? You, you know, you have to make, you can't make more than thirty-three grand, thirty-two thousand six hundred and forty, actually. But we'll round up to thirty-three grand. Can't make more than thirty-three grand to participate. There is another provision in the food stamp rules, which says that if you get some other form of government assistance, you're on some other government assistance role, you are automatically, you can automatically apply for and receive food stamp benefits. They don't check your income. So if you have somebody that wouldn't qualify for food stamps, but instead has some other form of government assistance, and it, it can be literally as simple as, gee, I qualify for um, a, a senior assistance hotline, or I qualify for, I don't know, some uh, relief as far as, uh, as an informational pamphlet, or I qualify, like I say, for a telephone hotline. If you qualify for that, what food stamps does is they say, okay, you can apply, and we're not even going to look at the income level. You know, you're automatically get going to get food stamps. So as a result of that, what they find is nationwide, they estimate that there's about 3.6 million people who are collecting food stamps, but they, they're, they're above the food stamp eligibility level. They make too much money, but because they're on some other assistance program, and like I say, a lot of these assistance programs are here, you know, you've got the senior citizen hotline or something like that, you know, you get on food stamps, no questions asked, whereas you wouldn't normally be entitled to be on food stamps. So what the Trump administration is doing is they say, hey, we're closing this loophole. Just because you're on one of these other programs, we're not going to automatically say that you also get food stamps. you got to qualify for food stamps based on the income level. And, of course, that leads to the headline, 40,000 Wisconsinites would lose benefits under the proposed administration food stamp rule. Now, I don't know really where that 40,000 comes from. I don't know if that means that there's 40,000 people who are exploiting the loophole and who make too much money, or whether it's there's 40,000 people exploiting the loophole, but it might be less because if they had to apply on their own, they'd still be below the income level. Don't know. But the point is, Trump is trying to close this loophole, which has led to people who have a lot more assets than they would be, or a lot greater income than would normally qualify them for food stamps to be able to collect. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That's kind of as simply as I can explain it. Look, I, I, I'm not talking about cutting back the food stamp program or denying people who are hungry, you know, the, the ability to get some food. But this is a loophole in the rules, which can be and has been abused. There's a guy out of Minnesota who did his, he was on food stamps for 19 months and the guy's like a millionaire because again, he was able to exploit these loopholes. Is there anything wrong with saying, you know, if you're going to be on food stamps, you have to be below the income level and we're going to require you to, you know, not get in through some back door. We're going to require you to prove that you're below the income level. And if you are, you get the food stamps. 
Is there anything wrong with that? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And like I say, if you want to argue, well, maybe we should raise the level for food stamps and maybe it should be a family of four can collect after 40000 that, that's okay. I, that, that's fine. But what's going on now is people who don't otherwise qualify for food stamps are able to, in essence, scam the system by use of this loophole. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Monica in Pewaukee. Hi, Monica. Hello. What do you think? Well, I think what you're, what you're reporting is not completely correct. Um, I know in the state of Wisconsin, um, they do verify your income for food stamps every, I think it's maybe six months. Um, and the reason that they do that is because you get a different amount based on your income. Some people may only be eligible for $5 a month. Some people may be eligible for the full $350 a month. So they do verify your income. You have to send in check stubs every six months. But but you qualify. You can qualify regardless of, for example, regardless of assets if you qualify under one of these other programs. I mean, that's, that's why they're talking about the 40,000 people in Wisconsin who would be dropped from the program because their income is too high, but they're in through this other, this backdoor loophole. I, I don't think that, well, I, I don't think that's completely correct. I know food stamps do qualify you for other programs, but it's not the reverse. Oh no, no, it, it definitely, no, no, it, thanks for calling my, no, it, it is definitely, it is definitely the reverse. If you, right, food stamps qualify you for other programs, but if you are, a, if you receive other sort of program, it's called the temporary assistance for needy families. I'm, I've got the, here, here's the statement right in front of me. Federal policy allows people who receive benefits through other government programs, like the temporary assistance for needy families, to automatically qualify for food programs known as SNAP. Okay, they call this categorical eligibility. And so let's say, you know, you qualify for temporary assistance of needy families, but that that assistance doesn't. You you have assets that are above the food stamp limit, above the $2,200 in assets. Maybe, it, again, it might be just access to a senior hotline or something like that. You can use that as a way to get onto the food stamps. And the Obama administration encouraged that. So, yeah, food stamps gives you access to other things, but there's other programs that give you access to food stamps. And that's where the numbers come in. And, again, I'm I, – look – I I am not saying that people who deserve or need food stamps shouldn't get food stamps. I'm, I'm not making that argument. But if the law and the rule is we've got income cutoffs and that income cutoff for a family of four is 33 grand. All right, then if you're making 40 or 45 grand or 50 grand, you shouldn't be able to qualify for food stamps because you've got you're in some other federal program where you get I don't know heating assistance or something like that. You, you know, that that is that's my point about this. Now, if you want to say $33,000 for a family of 4 is unreasonably low, 
Okay, I, I have that debate. If you want to say we want to up it to 150% or 200% of the federal poverty level, okay, that that's fine. If we want to say, well, you shouldn't do an asset test, you shouldn't look to say, you shouldn't require people to only have less than $2,250 in the bank before they can qualify for food stamps, and you want to raise the level to ten or 20000 or whatever, I'm okay with that. That's fine. Have that discussion. But what the present system leads to is people who otherwise wouldn't qualify for food stamps. And I guess the estimates are nationwide, about 3.6 million and, you know, several thousand, at least in Wisconsin, who are on food stamps despite not meeting the income requirements of it. All this does is close that particular loophole and get the food stamp program back to where it is. But again, this underscores the larger problem that you have when you try to cut back entitlement programs because the, the way this gets presented in the mainstream media is, oh, it's it's the evil Trump administration that's out there trying to, you know, mess around with poor people. Well, you know, what it is is the Trump administration saying, hey, we have this huge program. We've got $2.5 billion in taxpayer money that is apparently going to people who would not qualify under the eligibility limits of the program. So, all right. Let's either close the loopholes or let's raise the eligibility limits. I mean, and I don't have any sort of problems, you know, like that. And by the way, this isn't always this doesn't apply to everybody. I got somebody, you know, says, well, it's it has to in order to go through this loophole, you have to be qualifying through temporary assistance for needy families. So it's not everybody that gets any form of government assistance that automatically gets into the food stamp thing. But in Wisconsin, they estimate it's about 40,000 people. And again, I don't know how many of those 40,000 would be able to qualify independently. All I'm saying is if there's an income limit for food stamp participation, why wouldn't we enforce it? And if you decide that income limit's too low, okay, fine, you'll raise it. But the Trump administration is simply trying to, uh, again, regulate and deal with $2.5 billion in money that is going in benefits to people who would not otherwise qualify for it. What's wrong with that? This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. When did an angry small minority get to co-opt everyday gestures? Now, we've talked about this before, but there's a story in the news that I find to be absolutely fascinating. It involves the, the OK symbol. Now, you know, you form the OK symbol by taking your thumb and forefinger and putting them together as if to form the, the letter O. Then you have your other three fingers, your middle finger, your ring finger, and your um, little finger, and you you extend them, and you know that's the universal sign. Okay, everything okay? If you're a diver, that's how you communicate underwater. Hey, are you okay? You form the the O with your thumb and forefinger, and then you have you know the, the three other fingers that are extended. If you watch 
basketball players nowadays, the universal symbol for, you know, the three-point shot. They make a three-point shot. They run down the court holding up their hands. Again, the thumb and forefinger pressed together to form the O, and then the, the three fingers extended. That means the three-point shot. And the um, the circle that you have formed with your thumb and forefinger is to symbolize, like, hey, you're a dead eye. You know, you're, you're kind of looking through that. Now, in the fringe world of the Internet, there are apparently some white supremacist groups out there who have taken this OK sign and are using it as a sign of white power. The idea being if you extend, if if you look at that gesture one way or the other, uh, the three fingers could be construed to be a W and the circle the circle that you would have in the letter P. I, that 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 is the thinking. And apparently there are a handful of, again, these white supremacist psychos out there that have done this. But as a result of this, this common gesture that my guess is that you have made from time to time has now become, well, I mean, it's listed, for example, you know, on anti-defamation group sites as, uh, as a sign, again, uh, of hate. So here's what happens. A few months ago, there's some uh, there's a family that is at Universal Studios in Florida, and they, they go to one of these character breakfasts, and this is a character breakfast centering around the movie Despicable Me, and the protagonist, the hero, is a character named Gru, named after my producer, and then there are the minions, you know, these cute little, like, you know, uh, yellow things with goggles and stuff. So they're, they're there. At, at this character breakfast. And what happens at these character bref- breakfasts is you, you take your kids there and they have opportunities to get pictures taken with the uh, with the kids. Well, all right, one of the pictures that is taken is this uh, little girl. She's six years old at the time. She is biracial. She's six. She's now seven. And she's posing with different characters. And the picture, and I've sent out a link to this on my Twitter account, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 is an actor who's dressed in a Gru costume, and the girl is standing next to him. She's got her fingers pointing down. I don't know if she's making a sign or whatever, and he's got his right hand on her shoulder, and he's making what appears to be that OK symbol. All right? He's making that. And so everything is fine. Everything is fine. And then a few months later, the family is looking through their the pictures of the trip, and the mom finds this picture, and she says... You know, he, he put his hand on her, and as he was doing it, I was looking at the camera, he started to put the universal white supremacist hate sign on her shoulder. That's how the mom describes it. The universal white supremacist hate sign on her shoulder, meaning it, it's the okay sign. And then she talks about how now we're, you know, we're all traumatized by this, et cetera, et cetera, and, you know, we, we think it's terrible. She complains to Universal. Universal fires the actor. All right, now, I don't know what the actor's intent was in, in doing this. I pose for pictures all the time with people, and commonly, I'll give the thumbs-up sign. That's one of the things that I do. Now, I, I don't think that that's, like, on any international hate group symbols. I... I intend it to mean what I understand thumbs up to mean, which is, hey, thumbs up, all, all, all is good. And I don't make the okay sign. But here you have a situation where 
Again, I don't know what the actor's intent was in doing this, but the mother's initial reaction is this is the international white supremacist hate sign, meaning presumably that anybody who is doing this must be, I don't know, a white supremacist. Now, look, I don't care about this particular actor getting fired or not. And like I say, I don't know what his intent was, but I'm more interested in this broader idea. Have we now reached this point where you cannot make that sign anymore? You know, if somebody says, hey, Jeff, you were coughing. Are you okay now? And I I give that symbol. Am I not allowed to do that anymore because, all right, I'm expressing the international white supremacist hate sign? And, And I guess the bigger point to me is when did we give a handful of, in this case, white supremacists, when did we give them the authority, the power, to be able to co-opt things that have been a part of normal gestures that have been our a part of our culture for, I don't know, generations? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, again, if this particular actor, if his intent was, here, I've got this biracial kid, I'm going to make the, um, I'm, I'm going to photobomb this by making the white supremacist sign. If that turns out that that's what happened, of course you fire him. I, I get it. But, you know, can we not make that symbol anymore? Is that where we are in 2019, that that typical symbol that my guess is you have made over the years to convey, hey, I'm okay. Can we not do that anymore? Is that now something that has to be banned? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if it has to be banned, why? Why are we giving a small handful of, in this case, the white supremacists, why are we giving them so much power over our culture? Have you made that gesture? Are you going to make it anymore? 414-799-1620. We discuss. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to um, John in Manitowoc. Hi, John. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jim. Uh, I just want to let you know what I think this is starting to become is I was watching our commander-in-chief on a, some one of his speeches or whatever the other day, and he used that symbol during his speech. I think they're setting the stage for they're going to start accusing him of being a white supremacist because he occasionally does use that in his hand gestures whenever he gives something. They're starting to set that stage that I think another Amin is of attacking him. Well, I guess the, 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 the issue I have is that you know, it seems to me that nowadays people can make anything a, a racist or a hate symbol simply by saying that it is. And, and simply if, if you find somebody who is, you know, part of, you know, one of these hate groups and they decide, hey, that thumbs up gesture, now we are going to embrace it. So everybody who makes the thumbs up gesture, you are now participating, in, you know, in this hate thing. And I guess I just wonder where this stops. Oh, I agree. I mean, like I said, I have never really paid much attention to Donald Trump's hand gesture. Right. At the last time, within the last two days, I saw him use that symbol yeah. in his speeches. And he's a very talkative guy with his hands when he does things like this. And I'm thinking, because I heard you talk about this the other day, and I'm going, I think they're setting the stage to now maybe use that as an attack method to come after him because he's always showing the white 
premises. Science. Yeah, I, I get right. Thanks for or, or it's a subtle signal, or you know, maybe this is the idea that again, you've got a handful of these psychos that are in their mom's basement that are communicating through you know whatever some of their weird chat forums are, and just a handful of people decide to do that, and then all of a sudden we empower all of those people, and we say, okay, that the handful of you that have now embraced that, that means that everybody else who uses this, that this has to be. You know, I mean, the, the statement the woman who was complaining about this is this is the universal hate symbol of white supremacists. Well, I I don't know if that's the case, but I will tell you it's a universal symbol. It's used by divers. It's used by all sorts of people that has nothing to do with communicating white supremacy. Now, again, I I don't know what the actor's intent was. I don't know if the actor in this particular case thought he was being clever by doing this as some form of photo bombing. Ha, 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 this is kind of an inside joke. Or whether he was just kind of making the okay sign, those people in costumes don't speak when the kid came up and wanted the picture, and then just, you know, kind of put his hand on her shoulder. I don't know what the actor's intent was. Obviously, the, the mother is outraged by this and thinks, you know, it, it's one thing. I guess my just larger point about this whole thing, and I don't care whether people make the okay sign or not, it's just at what point in time do we get to say the lowest common denominator, the the handful of white supremacists that are out there or psychos or whatever, they're not the ones that get to define the culture anymore. And that, you know, before we simply say some common gesture that is routinely used by generations of Americans, before we say, oh, that means if you're doing that, it, you, you must be a white supremacist. And if you've been doing it for generations and you're not, you better now not do it. When, when do we get to say that the minority, that loud, tiny, psycho group that's out there, that, that they don't have that power? I, I would say, you know, we, we should perhaps start doing that today not empowering these groups this is jeff wagner this is jeff wagner on wtmj so very glad to have you with us the conventional wisdom is that the trump presidency and donald trump in particular is toast um there are if you read Follow the mainstream media. You watch a lot of the talking head shows. Impeachment is inevitable. And even if the Republican Senate doesn't remove him, the American public is going to be just so disgusted with the antics of Donald Trump that they're going to they will revolt a year from November and he will lose in in a landslide and that there's no reasonable person that could consider voting for Donald Trump. That that's that's kind of the attitude that is out there. And I get a little bit of that when I say that I don't think there's any basis for an impeachable offense and, you know, the election needs to run its course. Oh, there you can say, oh, there you can say that this is an illegitimate president who, you know, has just uh, contributed to the downfall of this country, et cetera, et cetera. And there is a there is an echo chamber that's clearly out there that, you know, is is expressing that. Now, there is a flip side. I've got a story from today's Wall Street Journal. And it the headline is Trump and the Republican National Committee 
raise $125 million in the third quarter. President Trump and the Republican National Committee together raised $125 million in the past three months, the re-election campaign said, continuing its upward fundraising trajectory. First quarter, they raised about $76 million. Second quarter, they raised about $105 million. Third quarter, they raised $125 million. The campaign said that in the 48 hours after Nancy Pelosi announced the formal impeachment inquiry of President Trump last week, um, that the campaign had over $8.5 million in cash, cash donations over a 48-hour period from small donors. So this isn't somebody, you know, writing a check for a lot of money. This this is small donors. So if you look at these fundraising numbers over the last quarter, you know, people voting with their pocketbook, motivated to send a check in. And if you look at the 48 hours after the impeachment inquiry was launched, you have lots and lots of people, again, voting with their checkbooks by sending and making, making donations. What you see is at least from a financial perspective, the idea that there's all sorts of people out there who haven't bought into the New York Times, Washington Post, MSNBC analysis that Donald Trump is the worst thing to ever hit this country since, I don't know. Right, our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, if you read a lot of the stuff I read, you get a lot of the emails or the texts that I get. You would think that there's nobody out there at all anymore who supports the president. I don't think that's the case. And as I look at these fundraising numbers and I see millions and millions of dollars pouring in record levels of fundraising, it tells me that there's a lot of people out there who probably really do support the president. And that's what I want to talk about. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. After Russia, after all the drama, after what we now know about the Ukraine and the ongoing impeachment efforts, do you still support the president? And how can you support the president in light of all this? Because there's some people who just don't legitimately understand how anybody could still support President Trump. Well, do you? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Jeff, you are spot on. I was initially a reluctant Trump supporter. I like him more every passing day since the election. I went to his rally in Green Bay, and it was electric. He is charismatic, visionary, confident, smart, likable. I made my first donation after the impeachment inquiry announcement and was just saying to my husband that I can't wait to go to another Trump event and take my teens as well. 414-799-1620. You don't see that very often. People like uh, her aren't written about well, in the New York Times or the Journal Sentinel very often. Let's start with Jay in Wind Lake. Jay, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jay. I just thought I'd call in and, and voice my opinion about uh, I don't believe there are that many people that are against the president. But what I find most interesting is the relentless pursuit of the other side. Whether you like Donald Trump, President Trump or not, it's 
the integrity of the pursuit that I think makes people question their integrity. So because of that, I actually think you get a backlash to support the president from those types of actions. Yeah, I I don't disagree with you at all, Jay. I mean, the the analogy I would give is remember what happened in Wisconsin during the recall election in 2012. I think there were... I think there were a lot of people who were very ambivalent on Scott Walker and on Act 10. But but the the, the resounding win he scored in that recall election in 2012 was, I, I think, by and large, a reaction that a lot of people just didn't like the didn't like the intensity and the over the top reaction of some people to Walker and to Act 10. And it, it did well. And I think I think you see some of that play out here as well there might be people who are you know find trump off-putting or have issues or whatever but the intensity like you were talking about of the pursuit of him has turned a lot of people off precisely and that's my viewpoint uh again we're all you know when when obama was president although i may not have been my his uh, choice for him he was still my president and yet donald trump is our president He's done some things that, you know, uh, or has said some things. However, he's still our president. And the, the disrespect, I think, for the office, whether you like the president or not, that's one issue. But you mm-hmm. basically disrespect the office for a non-valid reason. Yeah, well, thanks, Nicole. Um, and again, and I, and I, look, and I, I understand that the Donald Trump and I look, I have issues with Donald Trump. I, if you're a regular listener, you know, this is not a show where I, I mean, I, I, I have not completely drunk the Kool-Aid. I, I get, I'm actually proud of the fact that I get, I get texts from people saying, oh my gosh, you, you know, go work for MSNBC. You've gone completely over to the left. And then I get other people saying, oh my gosh, you know, you know, how, how can you, you know, how can you support Donald Trump at all? How dare you say these types of things? And I, I try to, look at things on a case-by-case and issue-by-issue level, which is admittedly tougher in today's day and age where more people are tribal than ever before. But I, I have to say, when I look at these fundraising numbers, there there is a huge undercurrent of support that is out there, and it's support that I, I don't think you see get picked up fully in polls, and you never see or rarely see get talked about or given any sort of credence. The idea being, in the mainstream media's view, the only people that could be Trump supporters or, again, are the, the white supremacists making the hand signs or people who just aren't smart enough to understand anything else. And I don't believe that to be the case. 414-799-1620. Sam and McHenry. Sam, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks Hi, for Sam. having me on. Sure. Jay, Jay made up. Excellent point. I would like to pick up where he left off. There's a reason why this is all happening, too. And the reason is you have a president now that is not just talking about doing something with the borders. He's actually actually doing something. That is a big problem for a lot of people in Washington. Then you have these bad trade deals that come out of K Street. You have a lot of people in K Street and in, in Washington that have maneuvered these deals into place, and they are making a lot of money at the expense of the American worker. They don't want any of this being changed, okay? The third reason would be the fourth branch of government, which are these unelected people that are hanging around forever that don't want any changes made in Washington. This is where you can trace it right back to his 
comments about draining the swamp. The deep state. So there's just a lot of people that have been sitting comfortable for a long time under the Bushes, the Clintons, the Obamas, and Trump has come in and said, no, it's time to change it because the average Joe is getting stiffed on all this. And, you know, if you're in tune with what's going on, you know, you're already beyond what Jay said. What Jay said was perfect. But the people that are a little more dialed in, there's a reason why, and I just gave it to you. That's It's all in these trade deals. This is the Bidens, for example, Jeff. This is a big, prominent figure, Joe Biden. Now you're finding out uh, with the Ukraine that his son's been involved over there. This is why they want Trump out. Do you think the ongoing impeachment efforts, and they're going to go on for several months now, do you think it's going to change anybody's opinion? Uh, you know, again, you start off with Jay. You know, they're just wearing people out with this, I, and they're forcing more people to ask, why is this going on? I, yeah, now, thank, thanks for calling. No, I get it, Sam. Thank, I th- I, you know, and I do, I, I do think that there is an element of that, that that is out there. And I think, you know, this is one of the things that Nancy Pelosi, I think she was afraid of this happening because once the impeachment train leaves the station, what happens is you stop talking about everything else. You, you stop talking about gun control. You stop talking about Medicare for all. You stop talking about Social Security reform. You stop talking about the border. All, all these issues, in many senses, these are also issues that I think Nancy Pelosi thinks are thinks are perhaps winning issues for her side in 2020. Well, once the impeachment train leaves the station, that's not what anybody's talking about. I mean, I pick up and you know, I, I read the New York Times and the Washington Post, so you don't have to. And I, I will tell you, I mean, the front page is occupied, and it's going to be this way for the next couple months with story after story after story of, gee, did Bill Barr, you know, talk to the Ukrainian president, or does Bill Barr, the attorney general, get along with Rudy Giuliani? That That's what these stories are going to be, and, and that's fine, and that plays to the... It plays to the we hate Trump and we think he's illegitimate and and we want him out before November of 2020. It plays to that crowd. I don't know, though, that it moves the needle of those those undecided voters are out there or the people that you're going to need to get off their butts to go and vote either for the president's reelection or against the president's reelection in November. Uh, It's an interesting dynamic. And like I say, I understand if you. You know, watch certain TV networks. All all you see is, well, okay, everybody in the country wants the president impeached. I just look at these these numbers of again the the fundraising and the amount of people out there who clearly at least are voting with their wallets. And look, and I'm not naive. I understand that there's a lot of really motivated people on the other side. I just think that. A lot of times when you see the print media and you see the broadcast media as a general rule, you're hearing more from that side than you are for the Trump supporters. And the truth is, I think there's a lot of people on both sides, which means it's going to be an incredibly interesting next 12 months. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. So, Tony Bennett, before you leave, your second grade (laughs) teacher, your second grade teacher sent us a photograph of you in second grade. She heard you on the keel. Is that where you're? Yep, keel. Keel, Keel, sent. Have you seen this group? Have you seen the picture of him in second grade? 
I did. I didn't know where it came from, though. <laughs> okay, his second grade teacher sent that in. You know what I find to be the most interesting thing about this is your hairstyle is exactly <laughs> the same. You have it not changed your hairstyle also. at all in all those years. Yeah, it, it's striking. Yeah, I was <laughs> now, a little surprised. <laughs> now, now, see, now it, it's see, and that that's just maybe it's a generational thing because, like, when I was a kid, like when I was in second grade, I had a crew cut. That was the thing. I had a buzz cut, and then I mean, I was a child of the '60s and '70s. So mm-hmm. then, like, if you look at my high school pictures and stuff, I had really long hair and the bangs <laughs> and the hair that was down to your shoulders and stuff like that. And my only defense is we all looked like that, you right. know, in the 1970s. And then, you know, over the years, it's changed a little bit. But you're it was easy to pick you out because your hairstyle is exactly the cha- same. It hasn't changed. It, it, yeah, it's fluctuated a bit through the years, and I guess it's kind of come full circle. Like, yeah, <laughs> so, like what it is. So there it is. But in any event, that's everybody's. Oh, what a cute young man he is, and stuff. And it's it's easy. You look at the picture, and you, you can tell you can tell right who, who you are exactly. Same hairstyle and stuff. See, just shows that this is. It's a small world. It's a small state. It's a small town, and. You know, you will, trust me, you do this long enough around here, you're going to run into people that you, uh, 45 years ago, we went to high school together, we went to grade school together, et cetera, et cetera. You will hear them. I guarantee it. I, I believe you, yeah. Even just now, I, I hear it a couple times when I go back home, so it's and, cool. And they have photographs, too. That's perhaps the most scary thing. They, they have photographs as well. All right. Speaking of small towns and you know what goes around comes around and and how people stay there's been an interesting series in the chicago tribune i guess i let me lead into this by by saying i can't see leaving but i have trouble explaining why there's been a story in the chicago tribune about illinois and illinois is hemorrhaging residents Illinois, um, among states in the upper Midwest, is losing people. I mean, I'm talking about now net losses. You know, people move in, people move out. They are, they are hemorrhaging people at rates that are almost unprecedented for, you know, states in the upper Midwest. For example, 2017, um, 195,000 people moved into Illinois. All right, good number. 2017, moving out, 339,000. Net loss of about 144,000 people. I mean, and that's just in a one-year period of time. Now, in contrast, Wisconsin has been very, very stable. Matter of fact, I'm looking at numbers. Um, let me give you April 10th, April of 2010 through July of 2017. You know, Wisconsin gained about 108,000 residents during that time. So that's a net gain over that period of time. Wisconsin's growth, again, it's been relatively steady. In Wisconsin, if you look at where where this is coming from, you do have people, rural Wisconsin, losing people. And then Dane County, Milwaukee to an extent, Waukesha County picking up people. So Wisconsin's population been basically flat, maybe a little increase. Um, but again, it depends on what part of the state you look at. Illinois in general has been hemorrhaging people. And I, I think, you know, I, there's all sorts of reasons why people are fleeing the tax climate, you know, if um, the, the huge crime problems and the issues that you have in Chicago, all those things. But Illinois hemorrhaging people, Wisconsin 
stable, not really growing in any significant fashion, but again, not losing enormous numbers of people. Now, I have a number of friends who are getting to that point in their life where they're starting to plan what they want to do when they retire. I also have a number of friends who have kids who are making these decisions, getting ready to get out of college, etc., making these decisions as to where they want to go and start their careers. And so this is an ongoing conversation that we have, which is, okay, where where do you want to be? Do you do you if if you're approaching retirement and you think you're going to be retired in the next couple years, do you think you're going to be in Wisconsin or do you think you're going to be somewhere else? And if you're going to be somewhere else, where do you think that's going to be and why? I want to have this conversation for a segment. We'll see where it goes. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Think about your own life. And I guess my question is, five years from now, ten years from now, do you still see yourself in Wisconsin or do you see yourself somewhere else? And if so, why or why not? 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you what my image is in just a little bit, but I'm curious about yours. I mean, are, are you going to be a Wisconsinite for life, or is it, man, as soon as I can get out of here, I want to lose the winters, I want to head somewhere else, I'm tired of paying the taxes, whatever. 414-799-1620. All right, what is your future as a Wisconsinite? Is your future a Wisconsinite? 414-799-1620, we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. Uh, the follow-up to that story in the Chicago Tribune, the headline is, Miss the Food But Not the Taxes. Chicagoans explain why they left for neighboring states, and a lot of people in Chicago ended up migrating down to Indiana. Illinois is hemorrhaging people. Wisconsin's population, slightly up, but largely flat. We're talking about where you think you're going to be in the next five to ten years. 414-799-1620. Kathy in Brookfield. Hi, Kathy. Hello. What do you think? I am out. Okay, tell me why. Um, mostly because of the weather. Yeah. I, I'm just, I'm tired of having six months of winter. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Uh, are you, let me ask you this, are you a native Wisconsinite or a transplant? Uh, no, I'm I'm born and raised okay. here in Wisconsin, yep. Okay. So I just want to try living somewhere else for a while. Right, so it's just, it's not taxes, it's nothing, it's not jobs, it's just the weather, as you get older, just wears on you. That that's my primary driver. Yeah. You know, some of it is, um, you know, the the environment, other than weather. Yeah. You know. Yeah. The, but I know I get. Believe me, I, I get I yeah. get weather as I get as I get older. I might my, my tolerance for cold weather goes down. It just does. It especially. Um, I mean, some people really embrace winter and they love going out and they love skiing and they love doing all that stuff. That's not me. I know exactly. I mean, I, I like to play golf. I like to be, you know, outside and stuff like that. And I, so I know exactly what you mean. So weather is going to drive you to at least maybe try someplace different. 
Right. I'd be happy if it was 72 and sunny every day. Well, um, I'd be fine with that. Yeah, the problem is, you know, it's 72 and sunny all the time in San Diego, but you got, you know, you got you got riots and you got fires, you got mudslides, you got right, also right, right. every place has its issues. No, thanks for the call, Kathy. My my niece, of course, goes to college in San Diego, and I don't think we're ever going to see her back again, but it will be interesting with the cost of living once she's got to pay for it as opposed to I, you know, friends and as opposed to, you know, her dad and her uncle who are helping support the college education. Be interesting to see how she reacts there. Monica in Racine. Monica, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, are you here forever or are you heading out? I'm heading out, too. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of the winter. I'm tired of the cold. I'm tired of the polar vortex. Yeah. And I'm heading to Sarasota. Oh, I okay. Do you think your would your plan be to move there full-time or just kind of bounce back and forth? No, absolutely, full-time. Okay. I have friends and family down there. Uh, I've sold homes here in Racine to people who have moved down there. So I have people to visit currently, but I also I love it down there. Right. It's my favorite place. And by the way, I was really nice meeting you at the Brewer game a couple weeks ago. Oh, that was you, Monica. Absolutely. You were there with your son, right? Yes. And okay. As a matter of fact, when um, you were on your trip and I had the radio on, he said, where's Jeff Wagner? <laughs> <laughs> that's well, you you're yeah. <laughs> that, that's right. Well, thanks to call. I remember that. Yeah, Monica was so sweet. She was there. That was the day. Um, that was that afternoon game, and I I was one of those where I was standing on the dugout helping do the uh, one of the giveaway games, and I ran into Monica. She was so kind, and she was there with her son. That's great. Yeah, it's um okay. So the first two people say they're out of here, and it, it's not tax climate, it's not job opportunities, it's just weather. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Sue in Cedarburg. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. I'm here for good. Okay. I love Wisconsin. I was born and raised here. I have a beautiful home. My kids live, you know, nearby. My grandkids are here. And if I want to leave in the winter, I can go anywhere I want to go. Don't have to go to the same house in in right. Florida or the same house in Arizona. I can go anywhere I want. I don't have to worry about a second home. Right. Right. But always, you, you always plan. Maybe you'll be gone for a couple months, but you always plan you're going to be returning here. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Love it. Love it here and um, wouldn't leave it for anything. All right. There. Yeah, well, thank you. raised here. Well, thank, I mean, see, that, that, thanks for the call, Sue. I mean, see, that, that's, that is part of it, that you have roots and, and you're dug in. I mean, I, I, I try to process this, and this isn't a decision I'm going to make any time in the immediate future. But, I mean, it, it is – I know exactly what she's talking about. I mean, I, I've i lived here almost all my life, and I, I I love the area, and you know where stuff is, and I have family and friends, and, you know, my we've got, you know, my – my stepkids and grandchildren and just a, a myriad of friends and and yeah i don't i'm with you i don't see leaving permanently now having said that um if you ask me at some point in time if under the right circumstances and you know the the money made sense would you find me in warmer climates for a few months? Uh, yeah, that, that's that's something I'd, I'd give consideration to. But I, I just I don't ever see. Hey, I'm going to relocate to Austin, Texas, or to Nashville, or something like that. I'm just too dug in here. Let's talk to Linda in Wilmot. Hi, Linda. You're on WTMJ. Hi. Okay. We're moving north. You're moving north, like yeah. to Alaska or something. 
<laughs> no northern Wisconsin. Okay, tell me why. Um, well, he's a big fisherman, and we initially thought of going south, but we had some of those hot, humid days at 90 degrees. And right. said, well, that's not for us, and if I'm going to sit inside, uh, I might as well look at it snow and not nice, beautiful weather. Okay, so... Your your idea is we're going to go small town, smaller towns. We're going to go up north, and we're just going to we're going to yep. enjoy kind of being by ourselves with nature for months and yes. months. Huh? Keep living. Oh, well, I, and, and, and I'm right on the the Illinois border, and I got to get away from these Illinois people. <laughs> that's that's right. Well, I, I'm, ta- I'm looking at these numbers in the Chicago Tribune, and you're not alone. I I was kind of <laughs> stunned to see the the net migration. I mean, how many people Illinois loses on a on a regular basis a hundred thousand two years ago that's a big number that's a yeah, big number half, half of them are right here on the border let me tell you <laughs> yeah no, right thanks for, no that's that's exactly I mean, thanks for, that's exactly you know what they're saying they're saying that people um i guess a lot of people in chicago moving to indiana because it's close but a lot of people in northern illinois coming across the border and that's that's not a climate thing that's a tax thing i mean illinois financially is a train wreck and it's not going to get any better and that's why for everybody out there regardless of what your politics are for everybody out there who grinds their teeth it's all that crummy scott walker or whatever you know you 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 had a lot of fiscal responsibility that went on over the last several years and it's put wisconsin in a much better position moving forward as far as the solidness of the economy and the tax climate that's just the reality and if you want to see you know what a negative tax climate it has you know people people can move i mean they they have choices 414-799-1620 let's talk to uh let's see hugh who is calling us from silver springs florida hi hugh hi how you doing say i'm what they call a snowbird right uh, I was born and raised in Milwaukee, love it up there, love the sports, the Packers, Wisconsin, the Brewers, uh, and, 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 the, and, of course, uh, all the sports up there. And uh, I, I, I just got tired of the winters, like yeah. everybody else, the Saints. So I, I, I got property down here, and I winter down here. But I just love going back up to Wisconsin uh, in the summertime for three or four months, the State Fair uh, right. and everything else. And I want to say real quickly, the best thing Milwaukee ever did was building a baseball stadium with a roof on it. <laughs> Amen to that. So, Hugh, are you a Florida resident now? Uh, yes, I am. Okay. I'm kind of like down here most of the time, but uh, I, I, I really look forward to uh, when the weather gets a little better up there, like usually in May, coming back. <laughs> Wisconsin until about uh, maybe like Halloween, uh, although right now you're, you guys are having some nice summer weather and a lot of rain like down here, but uh, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of the best of two worlds between here and, and, oh, and up oh, there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, th- thanks for calling. I, and, Hugh, I will think of you fondly when we get that next polar vortex in the middle of January. No, I mean, that's, that's just kind of the dynamic that goes on there, and, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I have some people actually who live in the neighborhood where I live in and they're they're the the so-called snowbirds too it is interesting there as time goes on they end up spending more and more time in Florida because it's like well we used to come back in April but my gosh you know it's still it it looks it's so cold here we think it's going to snow until June here's a text Jeff my fiance and I have started looking to move to a new state Uh, this state feels so behind the times public transport uh, never a priority taxes in Milwaukee are high feels like we are always the last to change um 
um, et cetera, et cetera. Medical marijuana has been favored by the public, but state government refuses to change and also just tired of winter. I, 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 we got a number of people who want to weigh in, but there's a couple of things I want to do before the program ends. I, I guess I, I bring this up only because, I mean, I guess there's two lessons to take from the story that I was looking at. First of all, um, in, in Wisconsin, again, for, for all the complaining that people do, we're, we're, we have a relatively stable population base for the moment, and I think that's a good thing. Um, if you want to look at the effect of government policies, Illinois has the same weather we have, essentially, but they, they've got an awful, awful state government, and they've got an awful taxation thing, and what you're seeing is lots and lots of people are moving, and I don't think you can divorce the two. I, I, I just don't. At the same time, let's be honest, as long as we're dealing with the issues of climate, that's always going to be a drawback, especially for keeping retirees here when people who have the wherewithal get the ability to be able to make those choices. And that's that's a challenge for our legislators. I, I think it's why, from a tax policy, we have to do everything we can to make it as attractive as possible for retirees to want to stay because, I don't know, Sunshine and 70-some degrees in January has a pretty strong appeal. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The uh, Business Journal has a report. The the local newspaper, the, the, the journal Sentinel, which... For years and years and years, we shared a corporate identity here at WTMJ with with them um, through under the auspices of you know, journal communications. A few years back, what happened is they they split off. The newspaper was acquired slash merged with Gannett, which is like USA Today, and the TV and the radio properties were purchased by Scripps, big TV company, and then. About a year ago or so, Scripps split off the, the radio division, and um, now what used to be networks, all radio stations all across the country, now they're they're individually owned, and we're owned by Good Karma. And from my perspective, it could not have worked better. I mean, just everybody I tell, I mean, Good Karma is just a great place to work, and you have people that are invested in local radio, and we're locally owned now, and it's just absolutely tremendous. The, and I, I mean that sincerely. I wouldn't say it if I didn't believe it. Now, the, the newspaper has gone the other way, further and further away from local control. So <clears throat> newspaper owned by Gannett. And look, the, the newspaper industry, liberal bias, conservative bias, whatever. It's just it's very difficult to make money in newspapers nowadays. Used to be newspapers were licenses to print money just for a variety of reasons that we've talked to about at length, not anymore. So the the story is apparently um, Gannett, the company that owns the journal Sentinel, is about to be taken over slash merged with this this gatehouse media, which is another... You know, big newspaper company, the Gatehouse Media. Their their modus operandi over the years has been when they acquire, they they cut, and you you seriously wonder at newspapers nowadays how much more can you cut? And the story in the Business Journal says that uh, the new owner of the local paper expects to reduce its workforce. Now that doesn't necessarily mean Journal Sentinel exclusively. It means that all the properties. As it seeks to increase cash flow, the company says flat revenue over the next four years. So let me translate this. If they're projecting we're not going to grow revenue, revenue is going to be flat, and yet we need to make money, 
Well, there are really two ways you make money. You either increase your, your sales, you know, you generate more revenue, or you, you cut your expenses. And they're very clear saying, we don't think that we're going to be able to generate more revenue, so we're going to be um, cutting. Cost cuts include workforce reductions, one strategy likely to be employed by New Media Investment Group, which is going to be taking over the paper. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be in the newsroom necessarily, but, you know, company-wide. You do get to a point, though, where you wonder, you know, what's going to be left? How much more can you cut? And for all these people out there who think you grow businesses by cutting and cutting and cutting, that almost never works. Actually, what it tends to do is put businesses into a, a death spell. So um, I, you know, who knows how this is all going to turn out. But the story in the Business Journal, I, I, you don't know how bad it's going to be, but certainly not good news for people who appreciate newspapers, including the local newspaper. All right. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. Gru, do you know where that comes from? The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz, absolutely. The Wicked Witch of the West, played by Margaret Hamilton. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. I bring this up because one of my vivid memories of my grade school days, and there's always a story behind this, was second grade, Halloween. We had a costume party, you know, as, as second graders are wont to do at the school. The teacher came dressed as the Wicked Witch of the West, complete with, like, the the green face paint and stuff like that. Nowadays, you couldn't do that because somebody would be somebody would be offended somewhere about that, you know. You but, but back then, you could. And she came dressed as the Wicked Witch of the West. And everybody came dressed in costumes. And we had, we had a little Halloween party at the end of the day. And, you know, it was fun. And it, it must have stuck with me because I still remember the teacher being dressed as the Wicked Witch of the West. I bring this up because Halloween is coming up. And what that means is in some school districts, they are going to continue this tradition that goes back years and years, goes back to my days, of having Halloween parties. And then there are other school districts. Evanston, the Evanston School District, Evanston, Illinois, has just announced that for the first time ever, they are going to be canceling Halloween. By that I mean no in-school Halloween parties. They have done this for years and years and years, but they've decided that this is the year that they're not going to do it. They're discontinuing it. Now, why are they discontinuing it? Well, they're not they're not discontinuing it because they think it's a waste of time. So it's not like they're saying, hey, look, you know, we've got test scores and we just don't think it's appropriate to, I don't know, take an hour out of the day at the end of the day and have a Halloween party um, because we think we should be teaching the kids. So that that's, that is not what they're saying. So I want that understood as we launch into this discussion. The argument isn't we need to devote the time to more educational aspects. Evanston says we're doing away with Halloween parties because – Well, here's what they say specifically. As part of our school and district-wide commitment to equity, we are focused on building community and creating inclusive, welcoming environments for all. While we recognize Halloween is a fun tradition for many families, it is not a holiday that is celebrated by all members of our school community and for various reasons. There are also inequities in how we have traditionally observed the holiday, Our goal 
is to provide space and opportunities for all students to be part of the community, not to create an environment that may feel exclusive or unwelcoming to any child. In other words, having the Halloween party, they are concerned, might make some children feel unwelcome. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, Halloween... Halloween is secular. I mean, Halloween, This is it's not like we're talking about Christmas. It's not like we're talking about Easter. As far as I know, people, you know, pretty much irrespective of your religious denomination, can go ahead and celebrate Halloween. It's also something that, candidly, I just think is something that's fun for kids to do once a year. The school system says we're concerned that some people might feel excluded. To which my response would be, why don't you figure out what you need to get those kids included as opposed to saying to the 98% of the kids who enjoy having the costume party, we're not going to do it. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do Halloween parties still have a role in schools? And again, the issue here isn't, gee, we want to use the time to teach. It's Gee, we don't want some people to feel excluded by the Halloween party. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Got a text from Reuben in Green Bay. He says, "I'm wondering if the school district is doing away with Valentine's Day." My guess is Valentine's Day has been long, long gone. Okay, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. All right, would you object to your kid's school having a Halloween party? One of the traditional Halloween parties, you know, where the kids come in costumes, maybe even do something like bobbing for apples, you know. Maybe you do something where there's a candy exchange. I don't know, a traditional Halloween party. Anything wrong with that? Andrew in Waukesha. Hi, Andrew. Hi, thanks for taking my call. So, uh, you know, you describe the holiday as a secular holiday, which isn't exactly true. I mean, to my mind, it would be as if the schools had a Mardi Gras celebration. So I think that there are a lot of ways to celebrate community. There are a lot of ways to get together, maybe have a harvest festival, even have a dress-up, a dance. But Halloween has connotations that, in, quite frankly, a lot of Christian denominations hold their tongue and don't say anything about but it is a very dark, very indulgent holiday, and it doesn't have to be, but it is. Well, but it certainly doesn't have to be in in like a second or third grade classroom. I mean, isn't that what you're effectively doing? You know, you're, the kids are dressing up and you're bobbing for apples and doing stuff like that. I don't that. know if you've been a video store lately, but the horror movie genre in this country has exploded. So at the children level in all the movie stores, there are all these grotesque movie covers with demons and monsters and blood and murder, and it is just shoved in the kid's face. And I don't think that's fair. And again, that's not what they're doing in the schools. But if a school decides... Oh, I'm sorry, we, we, we lost your phone. I, I, I have not been in one of those Halloween stores lately. And, and, and look, if, if you're asking me in a second-grade classroom as the parent, am I going to let my kid dress up as what Freddy Krueger from, or Krieger, Krueger, I guess, from, from Nightmare on Elm Street... Or, you know, Jason from the Friday the 13th movies. Well, the answer is, of course, you know, no, I, I'm, 
I'm not going to do that. I mean, you know, there has to be some degree of, of control in that. And I understand, you know, especially in our politically correct world nowadays that, you know, we get in issues about what's appropriate and what's inappropriate. But I don't know. I, I think we're we're talking about stuff that I, I think is is a normal sort of thing. Okay, it's Halloween. Kids go out and they go trick-or-treating. And if the school were saying, no, no, we, we've got to spend this extra hour, you know, going through testing and getting them ready for standardized tests, all right, that would be one thing. But they're not. They're saying, well, we, we just think that, you know, somebody might feel a little bit left out. So my point would be, all right, why don't you figure out what it is as to why that kid might be feeling left out and, and see what you can do to integrate them in as opposed to saying to the other 100 kids, no, you can't have this particular activity. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Kathy in New Berlin. Hi, Kathy. Hi. Um, my kids, when they went, they're out of school now, but when they went to school, they went to Catholic grade school. And instead of coming as your, you know, just a Halloween costume and do anything you wanted, they did come as your favorite storybook character. So there's different ways you can get around it. Right. Yeah. You could, you could do with, right. You could do a theme. Come as your favorite ball player or, you know, or, or your favorite athlete. So somebody comes, you know, yeah, exactly. Or come as your favorite, you know, dress as your favorite profession or something like that. Sure. Yeah, so the caller before you saying that, you know, and I agree with them, you know, the Halloween can be dark for a lot of different religions, which Catholic is one of them, but the ways of getting around that for little kids, kids don't think that way. Right. Now, kids are going to think that, I mean, like I say, my recollection of, of I, I'm not sure I could tell you anything else about second grade, but I remember Halloween and I remember the teacher showing up dressed as the Wicked Witch of the West. And it was, it was, it was a great costume and it was fun. You know, it was just this right. kind of fun thing that sent you home happy. No, no, thanks to God. I guess, see, that's, that's my, my bigger point. We're trying to take all the fun out of, of, of growing up nowadays. And it, this isn't just talking about like bubble wrapping kids, but it's the idea that, okay, somebody somewhere might theoretically be offended about something. So that means that we, we can't do, you know, what we would normally do and what we would present in a way. And it, again, it, it's not like at the school, they had people, you know, showing up dressed as stormtroopers or showing up as people, you know, dressed, you know, as characters out of, you know, The, the Walking Dead. It, that, that's not what the problem is. It was just that, well, you know, somebody might feel a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe. Well, I don't know. At some point in time, don't we have to say, have some fun? Christine in Cedarburg. Christine, you're on WTMJ. Hi, I agree with you totally. You know, it's, 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 there's enough doom and gloom when you become an adult. Let them dress up. Let them, you know, if you have to have safe snacks, bring in apples and carrots and, and you know, make the tissue paper pumpkins like we used to do or whatever. And right. Go to Goodwill, get a cool costume or what, you know, yeah. whatever costume. That's, it's being creative. It's, it's really about choosing about what you want to be for the day. You know, and it's just, it's fun. It's, it's, it's kids. Maybe that's why, you know, the adults just don't get it anymore is because they're forgetting of what it was like to be a kid. Yeah, it, that's exactly right. It, it's kids, and let's let kids be kids for an hour of the day, and you have a costume contest, or you do what, whatever. And, and you're right. I mean, you can... You, you can you can fashion a costume. It's not like you have to you know spend five hundred dollars buying something special. I mean, you you can you can send the kid to school in an old bed sheet, you know, dressed as a ghost or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. And if if, if parents, if certain parents have that that uh, negative convictions about it, okay, then you take your kid to Chuck E. Cheese for the night. Right. Let, it, the other, 
let the other kids have fun. Right, exactly. Right. Thanks, thanks for calling. And then you know, and then you know, I mean, they'd go back to Chuck E. Cheese when you know people are trick or treating and stuff. Angela in St. Francis. Angela, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Thank Hi. you for having me on. Thanks for calling. Um, <laughs> I'm actually calling my I in St. Francis here. My son goes to the elementary school, and every year, the Friday before Halloween and everything, they do like a trick or trunk, and they have parents and teachers and stuff that will line their truck, their cars up and everything, decorate their trunks. They do like a little trick-or-treating in the parking lot of the school, and they also do a parade through the actual city. So it's like it's kind of fun. It gets them out walking, uh-huh. doing something different. And it's, and it's really fun. Let's, let's, let's go back to what you said before. It's fun. <laughs> it's fun, yes, exactly. But it's not any different than the high school kids doing the spirit weeks for prom and homecoming they go to school with their pajamas on they wear have different color hair they're supposed to go and do different things for the school once they get to high school and everything and that's fun and it gets them engaged and it gets them together with their friends and just there's that word again angela fun yes exactly (laughs) you know i don't think there's anything wrong with people being having fun halloween and having fun and being able to do that when they're children. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> they're, thanks. It, I, it's fun. It's fun. And I, I do think political correctness and I look, I, I appreciate inclusivity and you don't want kids to feel excluded. But for, for goodness sakes, I mean, th- there is Halloween out here and, and, you know, people go out and they trick or treat and they go to Halloween parties. And, you know, you, you got to figure out how to deal with that, don't you? This is Jeff Wagner. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds. Please stick around.